Bob Sewell. I'm a lawyer. In fact, I'm a partner at the law firm of Davis Miles McGuire Gardner. I started this podcast because my clients always ask me, is that even legal? I want to discuss on this podcast how the law affects us and changes our daily lives. I hope you enjoy the show. I hope it is meaningful to you and I hope you learn from it. Thank you. Today's guest is Justice James Bean. He is a justice on the Arizona Supreme Court. I want to thank you for coming on the show, Justice Bean. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. You know, when we had begun this conversation just before the show, you said, call me Jim, but I got to tell you, as a member of the state <laughs> bar, I can't do that. It's just, it feels too awkward. I'm going to call you Justice Bean. I hope that's okay. That's fine. That's fine. You know, one of the things that really made me want to have you on the show is a justice of the Supreme Court. Most of us don't really know what you do. And we like to think we do. You know, even the even the most educated among us, we'd like to think we know what you do. You know, we think we're smart. And so therefore, we're like, yeah, the justices they decide these really important cases. But the fact is, we don't know how that goes down. It's a black box to us. And especially for the average citizen who, you know, encounters the law just sporadically in their mind. And so I wanted you to come on and I wanted you to share some insights. Hopefully you could, you know, unlock that black box for us a little bit today. Okay. You know, you have had a history of public service. I, you obviously, when you joined the law, you had something in mind and it wasn't go out and make the most money possible. <laughs> it, that was pretty yeah, obvious. Much to my wife's chagrin, yes, that, <laughs> that was true. That is true. <laughs> you have a history of public service. You went to a great law school, University of Arizona College of Law. You went to uh, UC Santa Barbara. You were assistant attorney general, a deputy county attorney. You were a judge of the Maricopa County Supreme Court, a clerk, a, excuse me, a judge for the Court of Appeals. And now you're an Arizona Supreme Court justice. Why the law? We were instilled with the fact that if you're given a lot, you have a lot to give back. And we were very fortunate to have uh, my parents, uh, before my mother passed away, they were married almost 60 years. Uh, we had a very uh, loving, uh, supportive home life. And we were, we were, you know, we were told that you've been given a lot, so you need to give a lot back to your society, to the community. And that's what we did. Uh, my brother, like I said, went into dentistry, not the mainstream dentistry. He worked in the uh, Bureau of um, uh, Indian Affairs, did a lot of rural dentistry um, in Arizona and now in California. I went the public service route um, as a prosecutor for mainly for 16 plus years, uh, served the community in that respect. And then the next step for me, I thought, was to serve the community uh, as a judge. And I've been very fortunate and blessed to serve at all three levels as you outlined in the um, in the intro, um, as a superior court judge, as a judge on the Court of Appeals for Division One, and now my current position as a justice on the state Supreme Court. You know, when you serve in these positions, it comes with a special, you know, obligation. And do you ever think about that? Yes, I, I do. I mean, especially when I was in the superior court and, and every position since then. I mean, no one comes to court, you know, for you know, good reasons for the most part. And absent adoption day and some other things, you're in court usually because something has gone wrong in your life. 
Yeah. My first my first rotation on the superior court was in family court. So I had people that their marriages were were uh, dissolving. They had to set up a new life apart from one another. They had to work through issues with their children, child support, sometimes spousal maintenance, things like that. So these were very weighty issues, obviously. You were going to kind of put together these people's lives and, and construct their lives for the next several years. And so that was, um, you know, weighty um, issues to take up. Um, I thought about it a lot. I wanted to do the best I could for them. So, yeah, you, you do think about it a lot. And as I moved up to the appellate courts and now the state Supreme Court, the issues that we rule on, the opinions that we issue um, are precedential. They have lawyers can cite them for um, precedent and ruling case law. So now these cases will literally um, affect millions of Arizonans. So yeah, it, it is it is something that I think about. I try not to think about it too much. I don't want it to weigh me down. But there are times where I do uh, think about how this does affect uh, my fellow citizens. You know, I I mostly tr try cases. I don't do a lot of appellate work. I have done appellate work. Mm -hmm. I mostly try cases. The reason why I ended up trying cases and I decided to do that was actually back in law school. In law school, I ended up clerking for a court of appeals back in Pennsylvania. And as I'm reading these briefs and I'm trying to do my best job possible and they give me the softball cases, right? But I'm trying to do my best job possible to make the decision on the case to help the judge and uh, instruct the judge about the different aspects of the law. So as I'm doing this, I realize the damage is already done, right? That at this point on appeal, it's a new ball game. And then the next summer, I was just sitting with the judge. He was kind enough to let me sit in on some cases. And as I'm sitting on the cases and I'm realizing, how does he make these decisions? He's listening to one side, he's listening to the other. And I'm trying to put myself in that position and think, what are you gonna? What are you supposed to do? This isn't really. It's really not that clear to me. It wasn't clear to me. And we go back, and he says, "Well, you know, I listened to this person. I believe that, and I listened to that person. I didn't believe that, and here's why." And and he comes to a decision. I realize, you know, where the law, where the rubber meets the road, was the trial court, and the the appellate court was something different. Comment on that. Um. That, that's absolutely correct. I mean, I, I was actually teaching at a trial judge academy last week with a, with a group of uh, fairly new judges. And I, you know, from my time, my seven and a half years on the trial court bench, I told them, I said, you all have, uh, you guys pull the heavy oar in the judicial system. Um, you guys are in courtrooms day in and day out where the issues are live. Everything's coming at you fast and furious. You're running around at Mach 2 with your hair on fire and you have to make these decisions. And it's very tough, but it's also very exciting and it's very rewarding. So you, you summed it up perfectly. I mean, you're taking testimony from uh, parties that have, you know, drastically different views on basically the same situation. You have to make credibility de credibility determinations. You have to apply the law as written by the legislature and meld those two together and then make a decision and put it out. And it's not easy. No, it's not. It's not. It's not an easy job, um, but it's a fun job and it's incredibly rewarding. I, I enjoyed every day of my uh, seven and a half years on the Superior Court. You know, one of the things that on the limited appellate experience I've had, 
I recently attended an appellate court uh, oral argument on a case that I had up on appeal. I had done the done the lower court work and I did not do so well. Let's just say that. But ended up we ended up winning on appeal just recently. But as I'm listening to these just these judges in the court of appeals, just grill the person doing the oral argument, the the hottest bench I've ever heard. Mm. As they're grilling them, I'm realizing they don't like this case. This is a frustrating case because they're grilling both sides. And they're, you know, there was, you know, two of the three were pretty impassioned. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) I could tell that there was a lot of emotion in this for them as they started considering the implications. Have you ever had that experience? Sure. Yeah. There there are cases that, just because of the subject matter um, are, you know, more interesting, maybe hit close to home in terms of an issue that you feel passionate about. And yeah, you, uh, you, you get ready for oral argument and you really put both sides to the test in terms of questioning where they want the case to come out. How far can do they want us to push the law? What type of holding do they want us to uh, reach and why? Um, but yeah, there are, there are certain instances. I was a prosecutor for 16 uh, plus years, like I told you. And criminal law issues are very um, important to me. Um, and so those types of cases really resonate with me. So when those cases come before me, um, I obviously have a little more expertise in them. Um, but I also give them probably a little closer look just because of what I did previously as a, as a lawyer. You know, you hear comments from media heads and they always say stuff like this they say i don't want a justice who legislates from the bench what does that even mean well it really goes back to kind of the structure of our of our government you know we all uh, know we have three uh, branches of government the executive the legislative and the and the judicial and the judicial has really what should be probably one of the most limited roles in the three branches of government and I think by the comment, I don't want to judge the legislature from the bench, I think that uh, means that they want judges to decide the cases based on the, the facts before them and the law that applies. They don't want a judge to go outside the law, to create the law from the bench, um, because I believe that would violate the separation of powers. People have a direct um, ability to affect who, how their voice is, is, is heard by who they elect. And those individuals are uh, charged with go down to the legislature, have debates, take a lot of testimony, and then ultimately decide on whether or not, you know, what becomes law. To me, that's sacrosanct. That's sacred. And that's what that's the, you know, what the people want done, um, you know, with their lives. And that reflects their policies and their policy preferences. As a judge, I don't get to mess with that. I shouldn't mess with that. So when I get the law... I look at the language, I give it its plain meaning if I can, and then I apply the facts to that law without interjecting what I believe maybe what my product policy predilections would want, you know, might want to be. And there are times where I've, you know, I've, I've seen, I've read a law and I said, you know, if I was a legislature, I would have voted no on that. Yeah. But I don't have a vote. I'm not, I'm not the 91st member of the legislature. Um, and so I take the law as given um, to me by the people's representatives, I apply the facts, and I make the um, ruling based on those two, those two factors. So is that, does it make you mad sometimes? You want to get out there and shake a few legislatures? <laughs> Write um, this better. I, 
Yeah, well, yeah, definitely uh, better drafting of, of statutes is frustrating because we have to interpret statutes, obviously. And I'm, I'm actually working on a draft right now of an opinion where I have two law clerks that work with me in, in my chambers. And we were frustrated by the use of, you know, permissive language and mandatory language if over a May I know this sounds really boring, but it, it really gets a no, appellate, no, court, uh, appellate court judge and law clerks, you know, riled up. And <laughs> they're not not so much the outcome or what the legislature did in terms of this uh, this piece of legislation that became law, but the way they wrote it. If there had been a little more care and drafting, um, maybe some of the issues wouldn't be so hard to decide uh, on on appeal. But I understand. I worked. I worked a session at the legislature back in the mid '90s. I understand how the sausage is made down there, and and these individuals do a great job um, with limited time and limited resources. So um, they they do fantastic work. But yeah, you know, like I said, there there are pieces of legislation that I said I wouldn't have voted for, but but they did. They they were passed by the legislature, signed by the governor, the law, and I took an oath to uphold uh, the laws and the constitution. So I have to divorce my personal feelings from the role that I have as a judge. No, I like that. I mean, that's so important to me for my personal philosophy too. If I want to get rid of my legislature because the law was stupid, I'm going to do that. And I get to go out and say all sorts of things like this guy doesn't know what he's doing. This person just, you know, doesn't get it. That's my right. I like doing that. So I, I share your philosophy on that. You know, one of the things, though, that I would imagine is very difficult is when you have the close call, even at the, you know, appellate level, when you're going up to the Supreme Court, when you have that close call, sometimes I would imagine or I, would, I guess I should ask, have you ever had an experience where the law was on one person's side, but the morality was on the other person's side? Oh, yeah, that 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 happens. That probably happened to me more on the trial court level where, you know, you do have a law and, you know, it's clear that this this litigant should, um, you know, should be the winning party based on the law. But you're like, you know, the other side has the moral high ground in, in what in what they're asking for. Um, again, you have to divorce yourself of what you think should be done maybe morally, as to what the law dictates. And you have to go with what the law dictates in that situation. Happens a lot, uh, like I said, in the trial court level. Um, talking about cases that reach the Supreme Court, every case in the Supreme Court is difficult. Um, and I don't think I really, I mean, I knew that intellectually when I uh, was appointed, but I didn't really realize that until every case comes to us. And every case, every case is close. Every case is difficult. And again, like I said before, the ramifications are, are, are large. So I want to make sure that I spend the time and, and, get, and get it right. Let me ask you, when, when a person comes before you, an attorney, and they've walked out of there, of that, you know, and you've read their briefs, you've listened to the oral arguments. How do you how do you know that that person was a good attorney? What what when you said I was impressed, what impressed you? You know, can you think of maybe don't name a name that might sure. embarrass the person, but you know, when you said, "Man, that attorney was good. She was amazing." Whatever it may be. 
I think, you know, and I try to do this as, a, as an attorney myself personally, and this is what I think is impressive as an attorney. It's just preparation. Um, when you get to the appellate courts, it's all about knowing the record, the record, the trial record, if it went to the Court of Appeals, what was decided there, and then at, at our court, what the issues are. And the best attorneys are the attorneys that know the record cold, know what happened in each level, um, are conversant with the facts, are conversant with the law, have provided us with well-written briefs that argue the issues well, that synthesize the facts with the law and make a cogent and compelling argument. So. To me, it comes down to just preparation at all levels. And the best appellate attorneys are the ones that do that. Obviously, you know, the best. Um, and it's very helpful. Um, we have a lot of cases. Like I said, these cases are close. And we rely on the attorneys to give us uh, their best pitch in terms of the law, in terms of the facts, and, um, and, and how the case should come out. So um, I really appreciate a well-written brief and a well-argued case. Does style matter? Yeah, I mean, we're we're you know we're not robots on uh, up on the Supreme <laughs> Court. We're not automatons. I mean, we we it's not that we're looking for entertainment, but if you're engaging and um, you can connect with the with the bench with the justices, yeah, I mean that that that's going to help. And so style does does matter. Um, I hope it doesn't matter to the detriment of the case. I don't think it does. But again, we're, we're human and uh, we, we want to have some sort of connection in that 40 minutes with, with the lawyers. But have you, ever, <laughs> have you ever had an experience on any of your appellate court opinions and that attorney came in, or appellate court cases, and that attorney came in and he or she was incredibly organized, very well spoken, a lot of great personality coming through, very engaging, and you're like, yeah, you lose. Uh, yeah, that does happen from time to time, probably more than you think, where um, probably because if they're everything you described in terms of, of talent and experience and skill, uh, it might be the party that has doesn't have the best case, <laughs> you know, retain them with the chance of maybe pulling this out because of what a great lawyer they are. But like I said, usually, um, you know, those things don't carry the day. If your case is deficient as to the law and to the facts, um, it, that's a tough road to hoe. And I don't think uh, pizzazz or personality is probably going to carry the day. <laughs> yeah, I've one of the things that's really struck me as an attorney is it's being an attorney is a different breed, a different skill set than say salesmanship. It's not necessarily salesmanship in the traditional sense. Like if you have a skill to be a great used cars person, salesperson, you're maybe not, you may not have the great ability to be an attorney. It's a different skill set, And it always sort of amused me when I see really effective attorneys in the courtroom and they're the most boring people in real life. I mean, you just can't. <laughs> so one of the things that's different about Arizona is how we get a Supreme Court justice. How does that actually happen? Well, in, in Arizona, um, in four counties, in Maricopa County, Pima County, Coconino County, and Pinal County, their Superior Court judges are appointed by the governor. Um, the other remaining 11 counties, they elect their, their Superior Court judges. The Appellate Court judges, both on the um, Court of Appeals and the State Supreme Court, 
are also selected by the governor through a, um, a merit selection process. And there, are, there is, for, for the last two positions I've had, there is a, an appellate court selection committee that is put together by the governor and the state bar. Uh, when there's an opening on one of those courts, um, they uh, announce it. Applicants can apply. They cull through the applications. They select um, individuals who they want to interview. They're interviewed. Um, and then once they're interviewed, they, they have to send up no less than three of the applicants to the governor for his or her selection. That's the process I went through uh, for both the Court of Appeals and um, the Supreme Court. And I was fortunate enough to be uh, selected um, by Governor Ducey to serve on both the Court of Appeals and then two and a half years later on the state Supreme Court. Now, once you're on the court, those courts, you're subject to retention. It's not a contested election where somebody runs, runs against you. Um, there's a judicial performance review committee that sends out questionnaires to lawyers, litigants, staff, and they are able to rate you as a judge. That's compiled and you get actual scores on temperament, um, demeanor on the bench, legal skills, legal knowledge, things like that. And uh, that, that is published uh, on a website before every election. Voters can go and look at that. Um, and then they have a retention election every, um, every two years, every November. You probably see it at the end of your ballot and you're thinking, yeah. who are these 30 people I have no yeah. idea about? <laughs> yeah. uh, those are the judges. Um, and we have an up or down, retain, do not retain um, election um, for, for judges. I'm on the ballot in uh, 2022 for, for my retention to the Supreme Court. And um, yeah, I, I just hope to do my best and, and be retained then. Yeah, you know, from a layperson perspective, when we see those things, I get a lot of calls from my friends. Hey, who's who should I vote for? You know, who who's a good who who among these judges and justices should be retained? And you know, there it's a difficult thing to know. And a lot of people don't realize that these judges and justices are rated by the people who have you know, have appeared before them, both, both the, uh, both, both the, the litigants as well as the attorneys, right? Correct. Correct. And we, we receive that information, um, about six to eight months prior to the retention election. So we get to see the raw data of what people said about us. Uh, there's a, an actual comment section where you can write down, uh, information and, uh, uh, like you said, lawyers can, and it's all anonymous, so we don't, we, we couldn't retaliate uh, if, if we wanted to. And uh, it, it's, you know, it's all, I think it's a very good process, and we get to see what people think about us. And I got to say, the, the, the process has been very instructive. Uh, there was one time I was in, again, in family court, and it's probably one of the best comments that I was happy to receive. Uh, a, a litigant said, you know, Judge Bean did not rule in my favor. But he listened to everything I said. I think he took into consideration and he made his decision based on that. And I, when I read that, I, I, I thought at, at least in that case, I was doing it right and I'm doing it right because I listened to everybody and I made the decision based on the law. Yeah, that is so important. I got to tell you that as an attorney, that's what I want to see. And I want to see the judge respect my client, me, the opposing party give the time necessary and, you know, and make a decision among the world of possible decisions. I mean, one of the things that I always tell a client, you know, that 
80% of the time I could predict what's going to happen, you know, and maybe not exactly, but I could put you in the window of possible decisions. And, and so the, most of the time, we know what's going to happen most of the time. Well, <laughs> um, and I think that's what makes a good judge is that there's a, there's a realm of possible decisions based on these facts. And if they've listened carefully, they're going to end up coming to some of those decisions. So that doesn't necessarily mean I win, although right. I think I should always win. Just so you know. <laughs> Most um, attorneys do. Yes, I get that. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that really concerns the public these days is that and that is that they feel like the justices are just another political actor i mean they feel like you're just you know a tool for the right wing or the left wing to accomplish their ends and that you're really not deciding things based on the law and i want to give you a chance to talk about that if you feel the same way I want to hear it, but it, but if you don't, tell me about that. Sure. Um, again, going back to how our government is set up, um, justices, judges are to come in and be impartial. And I believe in our, our, our current political climate, um, that might be somewhat clouded in terms of the politicization of, of the courts. And uh, like I said before, I take an oath to uphold the law and the, and the Constitution of the state of Arizona and, and the federal Constitution as well. And I take that very seriously. And I approach every case uh, looking at the law, again, as given to me by the legislature and the facts, uh, facts that the, the litigants give me uh, in each case. And I apply, apply that law to those facts without any type of looking it through any type of political lens. Um, I don't put my thumb on the scale in terms of one litigant versus the other. Uh, I leave those feelings outside of the courtroom, outside of the conference room, and I decide the, uh, the case based on the law and the facts alone. Um, and I think that in, in today's very heightened uh, political uh, climate, I think that gets lost a lot in, in terms of um, who the political actors are. Now, clearly, if you're governor or the executive or if you're in the legislative branch in Congress or the state legislature, you're there because of your partisan predilections and your partisan beliefs. And that's good. That's how the part, that's how the system should work. But the judiciary, we're divorced from that. We take a, a very neutral and objective viewpoint. Again, just applying the law to the facts and deciding cases like that. And I think every judge that I've ever worked with to the vast majority, um, apply those principles. And the court that I'm on right now, the seven of us, we definitely apply that. Um, there, there are certain cases that come before us, and we all have personal feelings about it. But we, we set those aside, and again, we decide the case based on the law and the facts. Justice Bean, thank you for coming on the show. It's been really interesting to hear your perspective, to hear what really makes you tick, how you go about the decision-making process. I think it's important for us to understand that, so thanks again for coming on the show. Well, Bob, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Folks, thank you for listening. This has been the podcast, Is That Even Legal? A discussion of what's legal. Just as a reminder, this is not legal advice for you. This is general information. It's meant to be educational. If you have specific legal needs 
Don't be afraid to reach out to an attorney to get good legal advice. Attorneys are lovable. They're fun. They want to hear from you. See you next time.